Welcome to Failing Forward. Mark, can you please introduce yourself for our audience today? Yeah, uh, Mark Muckerhide, AVP of Market-Based Approaches for CARE. First, talk to us about why is it important for us to talk about what's not working? You can probably learn a lot from failure or decide not to learn a lot from failure. And uh, the less energy you can spend and the more you can learn from that, probably the better. Um, so if you can fail fast, fail cheap, fail quick, and learn a bunch from it, that seems like a smart idea. What's the example of failure you're going to be ta talking to us about? We work on economic justice. The UN and the World Bank has estimated that low and middle income countries lack about $4 trillion in capital to achieve the SDGs. That's one of the gaps of achieving the SDGs. And there's about $200 billion in aid in the world. Um, and, and not that aid would be the way that you do everything there, but um, that is a 20 to one gap. There's 20 times more need of capital than there is of aid. So if that's a 20 to one gap, uh, the thing that we're staring at, our early estimate is that the average economic justice program done in the development sector uh, takes an eight dollar and creates about two dollars in economic uh, benefit uh, to beneficiaries. So that means about two dollars more of savings or earning or uh, investment access. So that's a, a 20 to one problem and we've got two to one solutions. And so our real interest is how do we get to 20 to one solutions? And so if I look back and, and call it you know failing, it would be Kind of looking at some of CARES history and saying, where were we just plodding along similar to others and having a one and a half or two or three times return um, and not really focusing on how do we make a big pivot to uh, to having 20x solutions to a 20x problem. Why are we doing the 2x solutions? What's happening there? You know, I, I can't say for certain why that happened. Um, I've got a couple hypotheses, I'd say. I think that one thing that was important and not a bad development is we've had a lot of emphasis in the last generation of development of being evidence-based. So that's great. Think of a two-by-two two and think of things where you want to be effective. You want to be able to do what you say you do. And then you want to be efficient. You want to be able to do as much of that thing as possible with the least amount of resources. I think there are a lot of things that a lot of areas, organizations or or program areas that have done a great job of, of figuring out how they make sure they're effective and, and do what they say they're going to do. Uh, but that also might have been at the detriment of or in a silo from not looking at what is efficient. And so how do you take a little bit of resources and get a lot done with it? So I that's one hypothesis I would I would put out there. I also think that um kind of blatantly lean on the lean impact uh, book from Anne Chang, where I think she does a good job of saying like how do you step back and look at the problem, at the bigger problem? So it's really easy for us to all continue to do the day-to-day. -day. Maybe donors continue to have the same focus they've gotten, or NGOs to continue to react to that and continue to do the same type of programming that we've done. And to do something radically different takes taking a pause uh, and taking a look at it, deciding you're going to go in a different direction, and then, and then often taking some risks and doing some hard work to pivot your direction. What's out there in the world that does get to 20 to 1, either from development or from anywhere else? How often is that a realistic expectation? We're watching the top 15 economic justice actors relatively closely. And I'd say there are a few camps out there. There are some that are um, really effective, uh, have, have really, you, know, you go on J-PAL and you'll, you'll find lots of good evidence base for them, but they aren't as efficient in terms of um, you know, economic justice per dollar. And then there are some that um, maybe aren't as publicly available on some of their evidence, but do have some more efficiency. 
Uh, the places where we see it the most of uh, the biggest actors, um, some of the for-profit contractors, Palladium, DAI, Chemonix, um, have published some things where they're getting really good yields. They're getting 10 to 1, 20 to 1 type of yields on their programming. Heifer and uh, One Acre have been a couple other places and in, in, uh, international development enterprises where you know they'll they'll publish and talk about how they're getting a lot of um, income or access to investment or uh, savings through you know a dollar of, of aid. You've talked about organizations. What are particular approaches that do that? You know, I think One Acre has been really effective at having earned revenue be a big piece of their model. So they're doing something where uh, the end beneficiary is also the customer. And so that's a good way for them to have a litmus test of is it valuable, but it also uh, means that, you know, only a portion of what they're doing actually needs to be subsidized or covered. And so it's given them a really good leverage yield. Um, I think Heifer has done something where they're, they're doing an asset transfer essentially, right? And so their whole model is how do you, how do you really effectively take some philanthropy and put as many assets um, in someone's hand? And then that asset continues to produce more assets and, and has a has a add-on effect. And I think um, they may say it differently, but I think the the for-profit entities, what they've done really well is they figured out how to take really large grants and do them at a at the most optimized cost possible and lean on places where they're working with the private sector and they're working with the government to focus on how they're creating more access to investment, more um, more access to earnings with with actors that can then scale them so that it's not it's not them doing the implementing right they're working with governments corporate actors who will do the scaling there's this question about efficiency versus impact somebody i know in the space somebody who donates says he only gives money to vitamin a distribution because it's the most efficient piece out there it costs you 65 cents to save a life that's the most efficient use of his money per impact that's the only thing he will give money to not every problem in the world is vitamin A. Not every problem in the world is access to capital. How do you think about dealing with those wicked problems where they're huge barriers, but the efficiency can't be the only metric we're looking at? Yeah, that's a good question. And I don't, I don't know if I've got a great solution for that. I think what we're really focused on is uh, if you need a lot of tools in the toolkit, um, how do we add um, a tool in that toolkit that is really efficient? And so where we're trying to look at it holistically is, is we're saying, how do we take a systems approach? How do we make sure that what we're doing, at least in our language, right, we're doing things that are um, focused on, on the individual, focused on the relationships the individual has, and then focused on the environment, uh, the systems around the individual. And so I think all those are baked into what we're doing. Um, but we are very clearly focused on, you know, our, our definition of, ac of uh, economic justice is access and control of economic resources. And so we're focused on that piece of it and then want to be able to work with other systems actors that are working on, on a holistic approach. And how do you think about this space of we once had an evaluator say to care, you know, you're not being very efficient and the way to be more efficient would be to work with people who weren't poor because you would be able to spend less money and they could put more money in and that would be much more efficient for you. So just stop working with poor people. To some extent, some of the interventions that are out there that scale very efficiently are targeted to people who are relatively better off. How do you think about that problem? I would think about it at two layers. And one is um, if you wanna improve economic justice in the world, 
I, I think of it in terms of four major types of actors. Um, you can have corporations who are really good at scaling. Uh, 65 of the, the 100 biggest economies in the world are companies, so they're really good at accessing big capital markets and then scaling across geographies. Um, you can have social businesses, uh, which aren't beholden to um, profits over impact, but lack some of the capital access and some of the, the scale that, that um, companies have, traditional companies have. Um, you have nation states uh, who obviously have you know, control of the geography that they're working in, but, um, but aren't for profit and don't have as much capital as the others. And you've got you've got NGOs. And to me, our space is market failures. And so if you you certainly can be uh, much more profitable and scale much easier if you're doing things in a market where you're not dressing up failures. But I would say that's not our lane. Right. If, if someone's already figured out how to make a profit off of it, social businesses or companies are, are probably going to be best suited to be in that lane. Our job is to work on market failures. And often, you know, market failures are going to be uh, going to be last mile or where there's the least income or hardest to reach folks. And so I think our job is to stay in that lane of where there are market failures and try and help work with companies, work with governments and solve them as efficiently as possible. Some of the examples you have cited are ones that had huge investments. Hundreds of millions of dollars have gone into those organizations to scale in that way. Is it that you can do that with $100 million, but you can't do it with five. I'll give you an example of one that I, I think is small and took a really smart pivot. This is within our area of women's entrepreneurship. Um, there's a lot of money in entrepreneurship development work in the world. Um, there is are pretty mixed results. Uh, if you go on, let's say, J-PAL and look at subsistence level, uh, uh, support for subsistence level entrepreneurship, um, whereas there's mostly on average fairly positive um, remarks in terms of helping growth entrepreneurs of small businesses really grow. And so, you know, I think we had a really good partnership with MasterCard, public information that um, we received, we got a $5 million grant from them. And we were able to work with uh, a couple of big financial service providers, um, both traditional banks, MFIs, um, some fintechs in Pakistan, Peru, and Vietnam. We were able to take a $5 million grant and help give access to over $140 million um, in investment to well over 100,000 small businesses. So that's the type of 20X ratio that we're talking about. I think it's on us a little bit to say, we're gonna show that we can be wildly more efficient. And we think that we can be 10X more efficient and pivoting places where maybe uh, we were doing something else with that money before and we couldn't show a big yield and increased um, investment earnings or, or savings. And now we've got programs like that um, where we're showing well above a 20X return. And it didn't require a $100 million uh, you know, uh, grant. It was, it was a more moderate sized grant. What were some of the market failures we had to solve for that example you just gave? It wasn't just the business side of market failures. So we had, we had banks and MFI saying, yes, we want to reach, in our case particularly, they were trying to reach women small business owners, growth business owners. Um, and there are other folks out there um, helping edit, adapt credit and loan products um, to make them more available. I do think the thing that this gave us a little more space to do is we were working on, um, on both legal norm, legal uh, you know, policy issues, as well as cultural norms. And, uh, and so the, the team found places, for example, like 
um, in Pakistan in terms of needing a male co-signature to come in. And so obviously that creates friction, right? That's a barrier for the women business owners that don't happen for male business owners. And then an additional, there was just a lot of cultural norms with the banks that they wanted, um, they wanted more traditional collateral. And so the team said, well, one of the things we know uh, that is prevalent in South Asia is, um, is gold. Uh, that, that, you know, women have, have gold jewelry and that's a way for them to potentially have collateral. And so they worked with a couple banks there and they were able to say, hey, well, we're going to make it so that a male co-signature doesn't have to come in and sign and we're going to use, uh, be able to use jewelry as collateral. And so those were some cultural norms um, that they had to work with that didn't have have anything to do with, with just assessing a risk profile and deciding if this business was going to be profitable to lend to. It had to do with some other components that needed to be addressed. In that example, there are also some pieces about what are women up against in their own families, so not just what the bank accepts. What other failures was that project looking at? One of my examples that I uh, that always stands out to me, they've got data. One of the things that they were doing was trying to help um, improve digital skills, uh, make more digital training available and access. And, and a lot of the um, a lot of the women in the groups, they were they were tracking when they were using these things and and the trainings that were, maybe they were longer, you know, they were half an hour, an hour or long thinking they were gonna sit down and watch these videos for an hour and they were gonna do it at three in the afternoon or something like that. Turned out not to be the case. What they found was that when we were watching these videos, five minutes at a time, 10 minutes at a time, 1 a.m., 3 a.m., right? That the that the unpaid, that the, the burden of not only the work burden, but the unpaid care burden. Uh, and they were they were doing these things, you know, just, just squeezing in the training wherever they could in the day, that those were additional burdens that they were, you know, working through. Some of the failures are about this, the 2x to 20x. We're not always situating the result in the context of the gap. And some of them are these other pieces. There are failures happening that aren't the immediate obvious failure. We're going to look at a risk profile. How do you start looking at those other kinds of market failures? How do we start even identifying those in the kind of partnership you've just described so that everybody understands we have to fix those too. If I think about how the teams are doing it, and so for, for context, for everybody who's listening, you know, we, we focus on five areas. Uh, we've got an advisory service that works with companies and helps them try and improve gender equality in their supply chains. We work on an impact investment strategy trying to improve gender equality in our, our in impact investing in the sector. Uh, we have a social business um, arm where we try and transition um, programs to businesses and we do a savings group and we do uh, groups and we do the women's entrepreneurship work that I was just talking about. And I feel like in every one of those scenarios, it's um, it's a lot of local context and local expertise of understanding what are those barriers and, and having both the knowledge and, and expertise on the ground and the time to be able to actually you know, give those folks time to be talking with the scaling partners, whether that be a government or a company um, or, uh, you know, a group, uh, coalitions of savings groups um, to help understand, you know, what their unique barriers are. As you've been doing this work and this research, what surprised you the most? This is an open invitation in the sector from, from a group who's, we feel like we're at the start of this journey. We re we've looked at this feels like there's a big gap there. We want to focus on this. Uh, we're really interested in folks that have research um, on, on ROI or efficiency um, to share that with us. We've mapped who we think the largest economic justice players are, and we haven't found someone that we feel like 
um, has efficiency. And so for us, I'll define that. We want to get to 20x, but we would consider um, efficient being at least 5x or better. So if you can get at least $5 worth of additional savings, investment access, or um, or income, that's that's efficient. And, and that you are effective and that you've got, we're using at least one RCT as a, as a litmus test there. We haven't found anybody that's got a solution that uh, has both. So we've seen folks that are effective, that we would map to effective, but not efficient, that they're efficient, but not effective um, or neither. Um, and so we wanna challenge, and, and we're in that camp too. Um, and so we wanna challenge ourselves to see, can we do both and for us do both and be center on gender equality, but um, we haven't found someone, at least that we can map, uh, that is both. I know this is pure speculation, but why do you think that's true? I think to be efficient, um, you've got to be very focused on making a decision that that's what you're going to do, uh, right? It, it's very easy to, um, I think, be focused on, you know, frankly, can I can I raise more funds than last year, or you know, what's what's my next branding campaign, or uh, you know, maybe I, I'm doing very um, valid things like I need to improve my program quality or I need to improve my measurement, you know, things that we're all all focused on. But you would have to be very conscious of I'm going to move up that ladder on efficiency. And so you'd be conscious to do that. Um, and then I think effectiveness both takes time and takes money. I rarely ever talk to somebody in the sector who said like, yeah, I don't have a problem trying to fund measurement. That's that's not an issue I deal with. I think in hindsight, one of the things that I would have done differently, I've been working on this for about five years now, is I would have leaned into um, you know, investing in measurement earlier, um, but it's just hard to find the money, um, which is which is what you need a lot of times to move up on that evidence ladder. You started to answer this. If you could do it all over again, what would you change? If I knew what I knew now, I would have read um, Lean Impact on day one instead of after being around for two years. And I, I, I think I would have gotten faster at trying to think about what the big problem was, what the global issue was that we're really interested in. Um, and I would have uh, leaned into investing in measurement faster uh, and tried to figure out how we speed that up. What are the biggest challenges you're still up against? We've got a few barriers. One are uh, we've got operational issues, um, operational alignment. So uh, just meaning to say that a lot of nonprofits aren't built for economic efficiency, especially private sector efficiency. Um, and so that's something that we've needed to continue to slowly working on is how do we how do we um, align that a little bit better? Um, the others are think are the second is measurement. You know that's been a barrier that we've identified from from then saying that we've got to get a lot better at measuring this. Um, and then the other is uh, helping get the word out. You know, I think that this isn't a solo project. And so whether it's, um, you know, talking about that to thought leaders, talking about that to other NGOs, talking about that with donors, um, you know, we we did this in a pretty quiet um, manner and, and we need to be, we need to be able to make space and time to be collaborating with a lot more folks. You said not-for-profits are usually not built for private sector efficiencies, which is absolutely true. Some of that's because we're solving for market failures, not places of highest profit. Some of that is because we are also constrained in really significant ways. Is there anything about that that was different than you expected? The thing that surprised me most, and for for folks listening, I mean, I know each other, but uh, my first 20 years was a Target Corporation. And so 
it was all in, in the private sector and then been with CARE for about five years. And the thing that um, surprised me most, I talked to about uh, 15 country directors in CARE in the first month that I got in, and I expected more resistance um, just in, in general to, to market approaches. or um, And what I found was a lot of open arms, but, but a lot of folks saying, um, we don't know how to do this that well. This isn't our bread and butter. Um, we, we we believe in economic justice, and it's something that you know we, we very much believe in. Um, but you know, and we've had successes, you know, working with companies, but it's not um, it's not as ingrained into the the development DNA. And so I was I was actually I was very surprised um, and, and happy of how receptive um, it was. Um, but I will say that having come from the corporate side, the work. Just in a care and in the sector was was more nascent than I expected it to be. Is there anything specifically about the kind of operating environment we're in, about the way the funding is set up and the way the the work is set up that you think makes that true? Especially for folks that are receiving a lot of government money, um, those need to be have their T's crossed and their I's dotted. Um, they need to be uh, very well, you know, be low risk and well audited. And that means a lot of checks and systems and processes. And that looks a little, lot different than, let's say a startup world uh, of going and getting venture capital, right? The, 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 the process is to get that, things to move a lot slower and, and, and have a lot more checks to them. And so you can only organize your operations to do so many things well, uh, and so, you know, we're, I feel like we're organized well to cross those T's and dot those I's, uh, but that makes it really hard to shift processes and operations when you need to do things very nimbly and quickly. Yeah, we've had that a lot where we talk to donors about, you know, they're very excited about innovation and doing things as long as you can show us your RCT first. <laughs> it's like, well, it's sort of by definition, if there's an RCT out there, it's not an innovation anymore. Yeah, a little tangent, but I was in a, um, I was in a, an MBA class uh, at a, a well-known institution a couple of years ago, and someone was making a comment about, well, just do what works, right? You know, I think, and that's a popular phrase that, that's out there of like, well, just just do what works, just do what the evidence works, uh, and and I think there's a little miss there that you don't realize how long it takes to be doing something before you can prove that it just works, right? And how much money that takes and how many years it takes and how much experimentation, uh, that that's really the tip of the iceberg of things, you know, once they've been around for a while and can be proven. If you could wave a magic wand and change anything in this space, what would it be? I'd be hesitant to wave this wand until we've shown that it actually works. But in theory, if you could make this change and we could see uh, see the communities we work with have benefit from it, I would love to see a massive shift in funds flowing to activities that are far, far more efficient uh, for there to be a big focus, both from um, donors and NGOs to doing things that are somewhat obsessed with figuring out how do you take a little bit of money and put the most dollars, the most access and control into community members' hands. And if we could figure out how to do that at a 10 to one ratio or 21 ratio or a hundred to one ratio, um, that that would be, uh, our belief is that would be a wild improvement uh, for the communities that we work with. Now that's me saying that without 
the sector having done it. So we don't know what the unintended consequences of that wish are. So I, I always hesitate a little bit on that. But um, but in theory, I, I I would love to see us try and prove that out. One of the things I see happen a lot is people say, well, you need to be more efficient. And what you could do is tack on in parentheses to the end of that sentence for me. And when they're de designing <laughs> for efficiency, they're not designing for efficiency for the woman entrepreneur who's taking training for 10 minutes at 3 a.m. They're designing efficiency for me to roll out the training. How do you think about that, making sure that the efficiency stays with the person we say the programming is for? Yeah, I think you nailed it. I think it's all to me. It's the way you measure it, and and if if that success, I would argue, is um, you know we a phrase that we use is is um, trying to be the best at putting money in her pocket. We're really focused on um, women and their families. If you're not increasing her income, her access to investment, her savings in her hand, so so just efficiency, so that it gets to that government or maybe circulates in the in the development sector faster or better or that, that money winds up anywhere else in the world except in her pocket uh, that that is the measurement we're looking at under four dollars a day where the most amount of market failures that we can find are happening and saying if you're not putting more dollars in her pocket in those forms then then it doesn't count right or we're, we're not measuring it that way as being efficient all right well thank you so much for your time today